0: Episode 60, How to Become Resilient with Gemma Bailey. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Deb, myself, and guest Gemma Bailey discuss how to develop resiliency. We dive into ways of determining your level of resiliency and how you can raise that level by changing the stories in your head. (music) Hi, I'm Ron Macklin, the host of the Story in Your Head podcast and the founder of Imaginal Community, a new virtual space where you can discover how to change the world one relationship at a time. In the Imaginal Community, you can ask us questions, take online classes, and learn and grow with others who are transforming their relationship with themselves and with others. It's like social media for self-discovery. So to continue the conversation with us, join us over in the Imaginal community by following the link in the show notes. We're excited to see you there. Welcome to the Story in Your Head podcast. Today our guest is Gemma Bailey. Gemma, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Could you start out with giving us just a give us a quick, like a short elevator speech, like five-story elevator speech? Who are you and introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: All right. So, I am a trainer and a franchisor. I am also a therapist. So, I wear a few different hats, actually. I've got a few different companies, um, but they all center around mental health and well being. And I typically use a modality called NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. Um, it's a little bit like a cognitive behavior therapy um, or a new age psychotherapy. And I have one franchise where we teach people how to use this modality, how to deliver it in settings such as corporate environments where they might need to focus on leadership and management. Um, And sometimes they're also working with adults who maybe have some unresolved trauma from their past that they want to explore and overcome. And then my other franchise is called NLP for Kids. And this is where we use the same modality, but we're working with children and young people so we have an adapted version, and our practitioners there work in schools, in the community, and they also work with children in one-to-one sessions when they've got particular types of anxieties that they wish to overcome. I have a non-profit company as well, and yeah, as I mentioned, I also still see clients, so I also wear that hat too.
2: <laughs> well, thank you, Gemma. you, know, Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about resilience, and what does that mean to you?
1: Resilience to me means that you don't necessarily get to avoid the tough stuff, but that instead you're facing it head on and that you, you kind of go through the challenges that life puts in front of you. And what that does, the upside, because it sounds like it's all downside so far, the upside of that is it helps you to develop a thicker skin. So resilience isn't about your ability to cope with difficult situations necessarily, or about being particularly brave or comfortable with them. It's actually about your bounce back ability, but that's not a real word. So we say resilience instead. It's about your ability to get back up on your feet and keep going even when you've been knocked down. And so resilience is something that it can help with things like confidence, And bravery levels in the future, but those are not necessarily skills and attributes that we start out with. And so we develop those things by initially going through some tricky times and developing some resilience so that we feel a bit bolder and a bit braver when it comes to difficult situations in the future.
0: Mm, Thank you. Why is it like, how is it relevant in, in your work in your different businesses and for yourself?
1: So in the work that I do, I would say resilience is probably a subject area that crops up most in the work that I do with children and young people. Um, So there's this anxiety epidemic sweeping through the Western world at the moment where we have young people who are struggling to deal with life's challenges. And they may be things that an older generation would look at and say, well, back in my day, you'd just grit your teeth and get on with it. Um, And almost um, feel as if it seems a little bit unjust that with all of the luxuries that we have at our disposal these days, it seems a bit crazy that we've got all these young people who are struggling with different anxiety problems and other sorts of mental health issues, but it really comes down to resilience. And if you have resilience there, then, those challenges still exist, but you're just better able to cope with them as and when they come along. And one of the things that we're seeing at the moment is where we've gotten almost into a culture of expecting very fast results to things. Um, Everything's moving very fast these days and most of the things that we want, we can get very quickly. And that's lovely in some respects and we're very lucky in a lot of ways, but it also means then, that when there are difficult situations that maybe take time or energy or perseverance for those to, for us to work through them, that actually those might be skills that young people aren't as used to having to tolerate. And so for them, we might look at them and say, okay, their resilience levels are not where they ideally should be. And because of that, they're not coping in situations that might on the face of it seem to be things that would actually be quite easy to tolerate and resolve. So it definitely shows up there. Amongst the adult population, it probably shows up a little bit less as an issue, but sometimes there are instances where I might work with someone who has an issue that doesn't seem or wouldn't seem to many as if it's really that big of a deal, but it's really weighing on this person's mind. And that might come down to some, in some respects, might come down to just some poor organization or just a need for some more practical skills, but it might also be related to their levels of resilience. And so they may have some issues perhaps going on at work or in their family, which seem like, okay, well, those those would be quite annoying things, but they're quite low level problems. And there might even be some quite simple resolutions to those things. If they don't have resilience, then they might find themselves getting overly stressed out, more anxious than they would like, perhaps suffering in some areas of their physical health, such as not sleeping well, um, You know, finding that their diet doesn't follow the trend that it should do, and that there are all these other sorts of issues that are cropping up for them, um, and that that's really down to them not being able to deal with their problems in a more resilient way. So resilience shows up in lots of different ways for lots of different people. Um, and I would say for myself on a personal level, I've probably had to develop more resilience than most because of the different experiences that life has thrown in my direction.
0: Yeah, thanks. Could you share about those situations?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. That, um, that
0: life threw at you?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think I've got more than my fair share. I'm just going to say that straight off the bat. <laughs> So I think it started out probably quite early for me in that not dissimilar to a lot of people's experiences. So my parents separated when I was quite young, but the upshot of their separation was that I ended up in a refuge. So I was technically a refugee for a little while, whilst we were looking to be rehomed because my parents had had a very bad relationship. My dad was physically abusive towards my mum. Now, what I wouldn't have said back then, but I can say with some certainty now, is that my dad did have alcoholism issues, but it was all very much labeled up as he was a social drinker. And so, in a way, it seemed like it was almost acceptable for him to live that sort of lifestyle because he was with his friends and he was having a good time when he was drinking. It's just that he did that rather a lot. On reflection, I would say that my mum had some kind of personality disorder and so probably borderline personality disorder which wasn't diagnosed because back then it just wasn't well it certainly wasn't as well known as a mental health disorder but it also wasn't really good form for families to refer their loved ones to mental health services it was very much frowned upon and so those two people coming together with their respective baggage that they had was a little bit of a recipe for disaster i do have siblings so i have two older siblings um, from my mum's first marriage my brother was given up for adoption so i didn't actually grow up with him Um, but i do also have an older sister who has severe learning difficulties and she also has epilepsy so she was taken into care services when we were children And so it was essentially just me and my mum pretty much together all the time. And then I would spend the weekends with my dad. So all of that was quite challenging to go through as a child, because we had a period, a couple of periods of times where um, I was moved to different schools because we weren't settled in actually having a, a place to live. And then my sister being taken into care. And then the weekends were spent with my dad, who was drunk. So as I grew up, these things to some respect seemed just like this is what life looks like and it sucks but i kept muddling through and put an awful lot of my time and energy into my schoolwork and uh, kind of seeking out the praise and recognition and all of those good self-esteem building things in that environment because i wasn't necessarily getting that back at home so fast forward a few years and I ended up obviously becoming a therapist and starting up my own businesses. And so all of that praise and recognition from being in the school plays and pleasing my teachers must have paid off in some way. But very shortly after getting some premises for myself to live in and for my business to work from, they both happened simultaneously, I started to notice that things were not quite right with my family. So although my parents were separated, they both still lived locally to where I was living. And within a few months of purchasing the building that I moved into and starting all of the renovation work here, my dad was rushed into hospital and he passed away. And it was the same day that he passed away that I realized something was very wrong with my mum. In fact, when I called her to let her know that my dad had just passed away that day, the first thing she asked me about was around his financial situation, and it just was not the right conversation to have. It just didn't make sense. So a very long story short, it took about 18 months of speaking with psychiatrists, neurologists, brain scans, before we discovered that she had a rare brain disease called behavioral variant frontal temporal dementia. And that is is different to dementias such as Alzheimer's. It's a little bit more like motor neuron disease. Unfortunately, in her case, it was quite fast acting. And so I had just taken on two new buildings, that both needed renovation, which meant that I needed more staff to help me run my office. And simultaneously, having lost my dad, And then uh, realizing that now my mum is going to be going through this process toward the end of her life, I then needed to put her property up for sale, find her a care home, resolve some of the challenging behaviors that she was starting to exhibit. So she'd started gambling and doing some just really quite, things that were quite bizarre and out of character for her, even though she had been quite difficult with her personality beforehand. It got 10 times worse. She became quite aggressive and angry. And as I mentioned, I have a sister who has uh, learning difficulties and special needs. And so that meant that overnight, I literally suddenly had two dependents. One was my mum and the other one was my sister. So I had to go through all of the power of attorney process for my sister to become her legal guardian. And that coincided with the care home that my sister was living in, closing down due to safeguarding reasons. They weren't taking care of their residents properly. So at the same time as finding a home for my mom, I was also having to find a home for my sister and trying to build my own home all at the same time whilst running these three different businesses that I've also got as well. So that definitely did something for building my resilience. Yeah, I,
2: I I hear all the things that were thrown at you and how you help other people with their resilience. How did you work through that?
1: I think that in hindsight, looking back on it, it really was just a case of do what you can and keep chipping away and just taking one day at a time. Now that just sounds easier said than it was done. What I noticed about myself, so bearing in mind that I'm a therapist, so I was working with people every day and helping them with their anxiety problems. Quite often I was waking up in the morning with (gasps) the, of anxiety and going to bed with a very similar feeling. And then also thinking, hang on a minute. I should know the answers to how to resolve this feeling. I teach it to other people. (laughs) But the reality is when you are in it yourself, it really is quite a different beast and i found that the only way really that i could manage was to not plan too much around the future take each day as it came and whilst i say don't you know don't think too much about the future don't plan too much into the future there definitely was a degree of where i knew for example that my mum was coming to her end of life stages that on a practical level if there were things that i could do to make the future easier for myself, then I, I would start to put those things into place already. So as an example, one of the things that happened as she was coming towards the end of her life was I started to grow conscious because all of that tied in with COVID. It all kind of started to happen around the same time. So there was a period of time when I, I actually couldn't see her because of the restrictions on visiting care homes. And whilst everyone else was saying, oh no, all of these lockdowns are a nightmare. I was thinking, thank goodness for these lockdowns because I actually got some breathing space during that time. And I realized then that when I had too much time on my hands, that was when the busy brain really kicked in. And so I I suddenly thought to myself, I'm gonna need to plan my time very carefully once my mum has passed because I realized then how much of my time and energy was going into visiting her or dealing with paperwork around her situation or you know just the sort of day-to-day updating people and family members. And I suddenly realized, yeah, I'm gonna have some time on my hands quite soon. And I don't know how I'm gonna feel about that. That might be when all of these last few years really hit me in the face. So I decided to start degree, <laughs> like you do. So I, I started a master's in psychology, part-time, obviously. And that became something then which I think most importantly, it made me very clear about how I used my time and where my time and tasks and energy was going. Because I really was crammed, you know, I really sort of crammed my week. With things to do and juggling all of these different aspects of my life but at the same time it was helpful because it gave me a very strict routine to follow and sometimes when we have things that make us feel untethered or things that you know really kind of point out the fact that our resilience isn't where we need it to be sometimes that comes from not having a great deal of certainty in our lives and one of the ways in which you can develop certainty and that feeling of being a bit more tethered and a bit more grounded is to make sure you've got a good, solid routine in place. And so by making sure that I wasn't gonna have whole days where I had nothing to do and I would be maybe sitting around and overthinking during that time, instead I I was actually being very productive and making sure that I used the time that I did have, even if it was for rest and relaxation, in the best possible way.
0: Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Gemma, thinking about like uh, all of our listeners and, and myself, I don't know that I always sit around going like, ooh, I'm not being very resilient here. So, like, wh- wh- cause the word doesn't like exist for us that way. What are some of the stories we might be telling ourselves that would actually be like a sign of that we're not being resilient or we're not building resilience in our lives? What were some yeah. of those common stories?
1: I think that the way that you can identify it is when you, Perhaps you want something or you want to do something, but you hold yourself back as a just-in-case. So people are probably a lot more familiar with the term fear of failure. So, you know, there's maybe something that you would like to achieve, but if you are anxious about not being able to achieve that thing, that could be a resiliency problem because there are other people who might be in very similar circumstances and maybe even have less skills or less resources than you do but because they have a bit more of an attitude of well let's just give it a go and see what happens or what's the worst case scenario Um, that they might still move forward with those plans and those people we might then say yeah they've got a bit more grit about them a bit more resilience to them quite often when I talk about resilience I use a metaphor of so we've probably all heard of the saying before about not being very thick-skinned and that relates to resiliency. You know, if you're a resilient person, we might also say you've got you've got a thick skin. You know, you've got a, a tough exterior about you. Well, the thing with having a thick skin is that you don't develop it from doing soft stuff. You know, so on a practical level, if your job was stroking bunnies all day every day, that would be lovely, but it's not gonna give you a thick skin. The kind of stuff that gives you a thick skin is where you're maybe doing something that's harder, a bit more manual, something that almost grates up against you, maybe even causes some scabs and a bit of chafing and you know all all of those things that actually cause you to physically get a thicker skin. So we know that the thicker skin doesn't come from doing the soft stuff, the thicker skin comes from doing the challenging stuff. So if you find that you're asking yourself the question, "Hmm, am I a resilient person or not? I'm not really sure how to measure it. The measure might come from How comfortable do you feel or how certain do you feel within yourself that you could do the difficult things if they came your way? Now that's not going to be an exact way of measuring your resiliency because trust me, if someone had said to me maybe eight years ago, here's what your future is going to look like, you're going to buy a building, you're not going to be able to renovate it because you're going to be too busy dealing with your family and all of these things are going to happen. I would have said, "Um, no, (laughs) no, I definitely haven't got the grit to be able to cope with half of those things. And so there definitely is something to be said for having more within us than we perhaps give ourselves credit for. And sometimes we don't let those things blossom until we're really under pressure or until we really have to. So perhaps something therefore that ties in with being a resilient person is also having self-belief or having some kind of belief. Maybe it's not even belief in yourself, but there's some sort of faith that has to almost hold up your resiliency like a pillar so that you will keep going even if you think in advance, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to see this through. I don't know if I've got what it takes. But if you've got some something inside of you that says, well, we're gonna keep going anyway, or I think maybe there's a chance that I can do this, I'm gonna get through it. Even s- telling ourselves things like, whatever this discomfort is, it's not gonna go on forever. Even something like that gives us a, a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, and that may be enough to keep us on track and to push through these, those uncomfortable situations that then ultimately, end up paying dividends later because it means that we've developed that thicker skin and we've now got a lot more resiliency about us.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I I was very triggered to think about that belief in yourself and how the stories that you tell yourself, the stories that you make up about whether or not you believe in yourself or, or you don't and how that can help you. Yeah. And I guess be more resilient and, and, We talk a lot about the stories in your head. You know, if you're someone that has that disbelief in yourself, how do you go about changing that story?
1: So something I talk to clients about is how they talk to themselves inside their own head. Because we all talk to ourselves inside our own head. And if you currently think to yourself. I don't know what she's talking about that is you talking to yourself inside your head that is what i'm talking about so that voice that we have inside of our head is sometimes beating us with a big stick and sometimes it can be more of a champion um now you don't always need to be cheering yourself on and actually you might not always believe it if you do it when you don't mean it so sometimes there's a more of a neutral or practical conversation that we might need to have with ourselves to move ourselves forward but certainly a negative one is rarely helpful and certainly doesn't make us feel any more motivated. There's big differences, even in how we say what we say to ourselves that can really change how motivated we might be feeling or how much we're believing in ourselves. So for example, if I were to say, why does it never work out for me? A question like that is going to cause my brain to tune into, all of the reasons why it doesn't work out for me, because that's the question that I asked. And it's more likely to get me looking backwards and in a negative way. So by backwards, I mean into the past. So it's more likely to look into the past and to do so negatively. If I ask myself a question that begins with a how, so how can I do this? This one is more likely to get me looking forwards and is more likely to give me some solution-based answers. If not at that exact moment in time, it's at least gonna start running a background program so that that question, as I move throughout the day and move throughout my environment, there are gonna be little clues that I see out the corner of my eye that maybe sow a seed for later on or something that I hear on the radio, which I pick up even on an unconscious level and then later think it was my own idea. So asking ourselves the right kind of questions in the right sort of a way can make a really big difference to how we get our brain tuned in and what the story in our heads might sound like. Now, alongside that, we've also got a tone of voice that we use inside our head when we're talking to ourselves as well. And so there's going to be a really big difference between me saying, how can I do this? And me saying, how can I do this? <laughs> So one of them implies success and the other one implies disaster. So we just need to sometimes take a moment to evaluate the thoughts that we've had. And I know this sounds a bit clunky because what I'm saying is think about your thinking. (laughs) And you can't always do that in the moment. You know, sometimes it's like, boom, the thoughts already happened. But if that's the case and you've at least identified it on the other side, then you can go back and correct it you know, you can say it in the right way. And the way to know whether it is the right way or the wrong way is by tuning into your feelings. Like, how are you feeling? And then we can almost reverse engineer it and go, well, what was I thinking right before I started to feel that feeling? You know, so if you're feeling a bad feeling, chances are right before that you are thinking a bad thought. Sometimes it's not a thought in a linguistic sense. So it's not been a sentence that was strung together, like the examples I gave. Sometimes we might be making pictures inside our heads. Sometimes we run movies in there, full surround sound, 4K, you know, and and those can be good or bad. Sometimes we're thinking about best case scenarios. That's rare. More often than not, we're running worst case scenario movies. Now, again, in an ideal world, I'd say, well, don't do that, it's not very helpful, is it? But if you're partway down the rabbit hole already and you've already got the movie running, and it's like, oh no, it's already bad. So in that situation, a good thing to do if you identify it is to cr- turn it into a contingency plan. All right, so let's imagine that these terrible things did happen. What are we gonna do about it? How do we change the ending of this movie so that you still reach the end of it and feel like a superhero? What do we do to change the scene? And sometimes it can be really basic stuff. You know, sometimes it might be that this disaster movie, typically it's like gray and raining and, you know, there's sounds of people crying in the background. You know, we like really go for it when we do it. So sometimes changing the movie might just be about and the sun comes out, you know, you know that sensation that you have if you're in a room and then a cloud moves out of the way and suddenly it's like, ah, and it's suddenly bright sunlight everywhere, that can just change the whole theme of what you're focusing inside your head and can therefore give you a really different outcome to what it is that you were thinking about and it changes the story.
0: Thank, thank you, Gemma, great, great story. So here's something I notice I do, I notice other people do it as well. We've discovered something, right? We go, oh, resilience, right? and then we go and they work on it for ourselves really good, right? And then we begin to notice it and others, or the lack of it and others. Mm -hmm. And and then we go out into the world with our new resilience hammer or club and (laughs) beat everybody else we know over the head. Well, that's not our story. Our story is we're here to help, but they all go like, would you quit beating me over the head with the resilience (laughs) hammer, right? Like, how do we, how do you help people craft a story so that they can be helped to others?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I I think tying in with that, something that I notice, because I do a lot of work with young people and going into schools, and one of the questions that I'll be asked by school leaders is, we've noticed that our children are not very resilient. We'd like you to come in and teach them to be resilient. And and I always think, what do you want me to do to them? Like this sounds like I'm going to need to put them through some really uncomfortable processes just so they've got resilience on the other side, right? So I, I feel like with resilience, it's not like I don't think you can go on a course <laughs> and develop it. You know, you can you can do certain processes to help you become more confident. There are things you can do to change certain beliefs about yourself. I think resilience is something that you get as a byproduct. Of the other experiences that you go through in life. So, coming back to your question around how can we kind of steer people in that direction without just, you know, hitting them over the head and saying, this is what you need or this is what you're lacking. I think it's really about empowering people to face up to their own particular life's challenges. And it's really difficult to weigh up what constitutes a life challenge, right? Because I could be in pain because I've broken my femur and someone else could be in pain because they've got a paper cut. And just because mine sounds more severe, it doesn't mean that my pain is more significant than theirs is in that moment in time. Like for them, their paper cut's a big deal. And I think the same thing applies in an emotional sense as well. Like we really need to be quite careful about saying, well, if you went through this, then this is what would make you stronger. Or you shouldn't go through this because this is going to be too overwhelming for you. Like we just don't know. All we can really do is empower other people to face the challenges that they feel ready and comfortable to face and to, you know, be by their side, but not necessarily push them through it and not necessarily walk through it with them because it needs to be their own experience and their own story. So I think, you know, in answer to your question, it's really going to be about helping other people to feel empowered, to face up to their stuff. And sometimes we can use our own stories and, you know, maybe even some of what I've talked about today might be helpful for other people in putting things into perspective in their own lives or helping them to work through something similar. So, I have a, a podcast as well, and I talk to people that have been through extraordinary life circumstances. And very often, when I've spoken to the people that are on my show, I get to the end and I think, well, I've got nothing to moan about. <laughs> like, who am I to complain? You know, because I speak to people that really have quite extraordinary tales of survival. And And that empowers me to put my own life challenges into better perspective. It's almost like a negative comparison. So that can be very valuable, but we need to be a bit careful about using our own stories to kind of override somebody else's pain. Like I said, just because I've got a broken leg doesn't diminish your paper cut.
2: Yeah. How you triggered me to think about, we we talk about the power of telling others that we believe in them hmm. and not in a false sense like and, and not because of something they've done that they've you know we have evidence that we we believe in them
1: yeah
2: and that means we believe in them to do whatever it is that they want to do and I, I don't know if we say it enough right i think about my kids i don't know if i say it enough to my kids i believe in you yeah and the power of hearing those words like oh Wow, I can believe in myself.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that it's something that we are less inclined to do the closer we are to the person. Mm. I was actually talking about this in a similar way the other day around how it's really important to, in our culture at least, to have good manners, you know, and to thank people when they do something well. Well, I know that if I go to a restaurant, and I'm being served by someone I've never met before and I will never meet again, that I'm saying things like, thank you so much. That was so lovely. When I get to the end of the working week and I'm wrapping things up with the staff who I spend 40 hours a week with, it's so easy for me to just go, okay, see ya. (laughs) And to completely forget to say, thank you so much, you've been amazing this week. And it's just because I've got a closer relationship with them. So I think it's easy for us to take these things for granted. It's almost like, well, I expect you to know that I think those good things about you. I expect you to know that I'm grateful. I expect you to know that I'm proud of you. I expect you to know that I think you've got this. And actually it makes all the difference when you hear it. But I think there's something in the delivery around that as well. You know, it's going to make a really big difference to my staff team, for example, if I say, hey, before you all go today, I just wanted to say that you really kicked it this week. You were on the money. Thank you so much for all your hard work. Then if I just flippantly say, okay, thanks guys, bye-bye, like that doesn't mean as much. (laughs) And if we're empowering, if we're looking to empower somebody else, then it might just be a case of slowing down our messaging, like physically, the way that you say it, say it slower, look into their eyes, maybe put a hand on their shoulder if that's appropriate to do, call them off to one side and just like really give them a moment of acknowledgement. And that's going to really help that message penetrate a lot deeper.
0: Thank you. That's really great. Well, Gemma, it's been great to have you on the show today. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how should they do that?
1: There's a few different ways. So I would say if you're interested in all of the stuff that I do, training, coaching, etc., for grown-ups, then you want to head on over to peoplebuilding.co.uk. Um, you can also find out details about my own podcast on that website as well. And if you're interested in the work that we do with children and young people, the website to go to is nlp4kids. So that's November Lima Papa and numerical4kids.org.
0: It's great. Gemma, thank you for being on our show today and and sharing sharing you with us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. It was lovely to speak to you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Gemma. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.